Good day. Uh, this is Jessica Seely, and you're listening to Hot Topic. Thanks so much for clicking on this and putting your ears on this. And uh, it is about climate change, unfortunately. Um, I did have a horoscope recently that said um, tr- practice doing things that nobody wants to listen to. Practice putting out stuff that no one wants to deal with and then do the opposite and I forgot about the opposite part I just kept doing the thing that nobody likes and that has been my career move um this whole time um I do comedy stand-up comedy um and part of starting this podcast was I was feeling a lot of dissonance between my comedy life and my climate grief um and my in the political world was changing so much that I didn't maybe still don't know how to adapt my comedy. I got really kind of bummed out last night because I I did a comedy set and it, it just wasn't that good. It was a short set of the comedy store and I just uh I talked about Tinder and stuff and it was kind of falling flat because maybe the audience knows that I haven't been on Tinder in years and no one's even using Tinder anymore probably. They're using Bumble or Hinge I've heard of, but I'm um I'm a uh I'm in a relationship that's monogamous and I'm not out there, but I just like you know, I I don't Hmm, I don't, I haven't maybe spent enough time writing to make my material catch up with me, but, um, but I still care about performing and I still am living my life in all the different ways that I can and, um, trying to follow my truth and, uh, and, uh, follow the light. (laughs) And, uh, I, I truly am getting a lot of healing done. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to just be open to where my life takes me. So that's where I'm at right now. Thanks for listening. My name is Jessica. Um, I uh, have uh, Melanie Pensack on on this episode. I interviewed her. Really nice. I wanted to ask her so many more questions. You wouldn't even believe how many more questions I wanted to ask. But I try to keep this short for you because how much processing can you guys do? Um so, and she's a meditation teacher um, outdoors, and she offers her services to climate change activists also. And uh, I loved going on a hike with activists and meditating out in the meadow and just getting in touch with nature. I'm realizing that, oh, I love the, I love the planet. I really do. And that's why I feel so sad for everything that's happening and uh, I'm trying to let myself feel those feelings without getting stuck, which is the hardest part for me, getting stuck in the sadness. Talking to Melanie, I was really impressed with her because, um, you know, after we recorded it, I was like, 
or maybe I said this in the recording, Any, I don't know, maybe you'll hear it, but uh, I said, you know, do you feel any guilt? Do you feel like the yuckiness? And she said, yeah, you know, initially I felt some guilt, but then I realized that that was um, not serving anybody, and I wanted to channel my sadness into more productive things, and um, I realized it wasn't serving me, so I just moved on from it. And then I was like, wow, see what I do when I find something negative that isn't serving me is I cling to it uh, until it almost kills me. And then I cry out for help. Um, and, uh, and that's just been my pattern, which I'm trying to change. You know, I've been watching a lot of the dog whisper and, uh, I, I've always been a big fan of Caesar Milan. If you know me, uh, you know that, and uh, he and something I'm real, you know, very controversial, right? Not everyone agrees with um, his methods, um, and I'm not here to say that they're right, you know. Um, I don't really know. I haven't done a lot of dog psychology research, but what I like about the show is he's telling people uh, that they're projecting a lot of their um, neurotic brain stuff, the human stuff, onto a dog, which is an animal. You know, so he kind of is like teaches people how to um, communicate with their animal on kind of an instinctual animal level, which is body language and energy and becoming in the present moment. And uh, there's lots of episodes where the dogs get kind of stuck in fear or something. And then he takes them on walks and he shows the owner how to like move through the negative emotion and not get stuck by keeping the brain forward you're keeping the 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 nose forward the eyes forward and the brain forward by moving forward sometimes he does it outside sometimes he does it with the dog on a treadmill for the lazy ass owners can't no i'm just kidding uh exercise is good exercise your dog exercise yourself I was experiencing wanting to get stuck today because I'm starting to think about the holidays. The holiday music came on in my car and I started getting really stressed out about seeing family and stuff. You know, I had to talk with my mom about the flight and everything. It's just like, oh, the chaos and then the it's like the pressure to have a merry time and see all of your family and be a good family member and get gifts and oh you're out of money again and uh you know there's all this stuff that goes through your head during the holidays and uh talk to Melanie about that a little bit uh resourcing yourself um during the holidays but um the reason this relates to Caesar Milan is because I had this moment today where my brain got stuck and I really just wanted to lay down and watch tv but then I just kept my body moving, I, I was just like, okay, slowly put on your yoga clothes. We're not going to yoga just yet, but just put the clothes on. Okay, now the clothes are on. Put the flip-flops on. Okay, grab the keys. Keep the mind moving slowly forward. It's very delicate. You can't rush it. Just keep it because I, I think I'm like a neurotic little dog that that gets stuck under a chair. Have you ever seen a dog that like that, that gets in a corner or has this or goes under the bed and then gets all neurotic? That's like me. And then you can't move me. You know, you could pull the leash and I wouldn't move. But if you gently tug the leash 
and maybe pet my hind quarters so that kind of activates the back of my body, then maybe I'll I'll start moving forward and get out of that fear. Oh, yes, getting out of the fear. Um, so I went to the yoga class, and it's it's an energy-based yoga class, and I guess they all are, but this one's kundalini, so it's a lot of... It's not really exercise but it's a lot of breathing and meditating and moving. And, and uh, gosh, I really feel like I, I just got through that negative moment um, where I could get stuck in fear. So what I'm trying to say is I am improving and uh, hopefully I can do that with all aspects of my life where I just, you know, I'm afraid of going out and getting a job. But if I can just gently tug my mental leash in the right direction and if I have a really, um, if I if I start, you know, getting nasty, I can just kind of go and, you know, snap my brain out of it. Um, but I really do like being alive, and I like this process of life that I'm having, um, which is weird because I'm so broke, and uh, and I haven't grown toenails and all these things. But um, uh, regardless of anything in, in my life, I just uh, like life, and I feel like that's a good place to be in, and I... I even enjoy like getting through negative things if I can manage it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I lay down and I'm there for a long time and and I get neurotic and that's okay too. It's it's a process. Um and I'm here to support all of you in your process. It's a scary time. Okay? But um number 1 and I always like to say this in this podcast which is like you're not alone. Yes, Jessica, I am alone. Look at me right now listening to this alone. Excuse me, listening to what? Another person who's real, who you could actually reach out to. Uh, um, do you have neighbor? Like, you, you're not alone. That's something uh, your your brain is telling you because uh, that maybe it, it wants to protect you with isolation, but... Uh, but uh, no matter how weird you think you are or how scared you are of things in your life, maybe you have a, a strange infection in, in your uh, eye, maybe you have a sty and that's making you feel very stuck. Hey, listen, um, uh, there's other people with styes too and they're scared too. I don't know why I thought of styes. I, I haven't had a sty. I had a sty as a kid. But anyway, um, you're not alone. Um, feel your feelings. Be alive. Love the planet. Uh, reach out to me. Uh, you know, let me know uh, what you want to see in this podcast. What kind of guests you want to have? I usually have comedians, but uh, I'm trying to have some, you know, some activists, some spiritual people, some different perspectives on here. Um. Uh, so yeah, pl- seriously, reach out to me. Cause I, I don't know. I, I don't want this to just be like something I'm running the show and not knowing what people need to be hearing. But, um, anyway, I really hope you like this episode. Uh, she talks about, uh, you know, getting started in meditation, moving through grief, moving through mourning loved ones and, uh, connecting to nature and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I, I, you know, 
I, I'm I'm liking that all the the perspectives I'm getting from talking to people. I find it it's very enriching to me right now. So please um, enjoy and please subscribe if you haven't and leave a five star review. Somebody left a four star review and it's just like, okay, give me give me a minute. Just just you know, I, I'm talking about climate change. Isn't that enough for you to help me? Yes, I need a new sound equipment. Uh, you know, yes, yes, I, I could be um, editing and researching and putting in different stuff, but, um, uh, su- uh, you know, suck it. Uh, I'm all about five stars. <laughs> Please, uh, help help me out here. Help me get, get going. The more this grows, the more that I, I can do with it. So um, uh, um, thank you for supporting it. And uh, without further ado, here is the mindfulness teacher, uh, Melanie Pensack. Hello and welcome to this episode. Today I have the nature-based mindfulness teacher, Melanie Pensack. Hello. Hi, Jessica. How are you? I'm fine. How's your day? I'm going great. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here in this beautiful um, West Hollywood apartment that you are inhabiting for a couple weeks. Yes, I am caretaking for my friend's plant babies, so I have a big job to do. It is very fancy. (laughs) Yeah, she's got a lot of beautiful plant babies, and uh, you are doing a really great job. I invited you to be on this podcast. because you um, volunteered your services to a local climate change activist chapter, uh, do, and you did you led an outdoor hike and meditation, and I just thought that that was so neat and such a nice, cool thing to do. I actually read a thing in the New York Times this morning that was like just a personal narrative of someone, and they were saying like, if you're going to be dealing with climate change and everything, part of that is you're going to need some spiritual tools. She said, I need some spiritual tools. And it's just like, yeah, the, uh, if ever there was a thing that was big enough to need uh, some spiritual tools to uh, work on it, it would be climate change, I think. I can't imagine just being like, oh, the the we're entering another uh, mass extinction. I'm just going to cope with this. I don't know. You need some serious coping mechanisms. So I wanted to thank you for doing that. I think that's just like such a neat, uh, thing to offer activists. And I, I just, I, I, I wanted to have you on here and just kind of ask you about like how you got to where you are specifically, not just being a meditation person, guider, but also, um, like how you've, What's your process with like climate change and when that came into that? Sure. Um, thank you for all of that. And I really enjoy taking people out in nature and having them reconnect. And my work integrating that with activists really started this past April when I happened to be in London for the first um, Extinction Rebellion actions. Oh. And so I... Um, I'm a meditation leader, and one of my teachers, Martin Alward, was teaching a um, meditation class in London, and I was very interested in going, and 
when I went, I just happened to be there during what was happening with Extinction Rebellion. And so a lot of the work that I've been doing with meditation has been guiding people in nature for the last three and a half years, taking them to the beaches and outdoor locations in LA. Okay. And so, and I've also felt this just very natural pull to be outside myself. Like over the last five years, it's been this, I can't ignore it in my body, like a Mm. visceral desire to be outside. And so I've been transitioning all of my time outside, spending more time prioritizing that, making my jobs be more integrated into nature. So all of that is happening. Um, And when I was at this meditation uh, conference, we were talking about jobs and the work that we do and contemplating it. And one of the things that came up for me personally was like, I'm making my living in nature essentially. Mm. And it's giving me so much. It's giving me refuge. It's giving me peace. It's giving me joy. And what am I actually doing to protect it? Mm, Wow. And I really sat with that because, uh, in my personal reflections on that, there was more that I could do. And so a part of that was being really curious about XR and what was happening. Cause I've kind of stayed away from the activist side of things, to be honest, because of, um, a preconceived idea of so much anger being involved into Mm, it. Yeah. And, uh, which isn't untrue. Right. Um, but what I'm learning is that well channeled anger can help bring positive change. And so there's something about that side of it for me, um, that I'm seeing with people, but you know, I was like, I'm curious about XR. I'm going to go experience it for myself and actually see how this feels to me. You know, I kind of am always curious, but I always like check in with my body to see what the feeling is. And I was blown away by being in Parliament Square and on Waterloo Bridge, the love that was coming from these experiences and people. And um, there was anger, but it was, you know, being cultivated in a way that they were creating positive change and impact. I felt very welcome there. And I was really uh, touched by the um, types of people that were there. Like there were mothers, like with their new babies. There were elders that were there sitting. And uh, the creativity of the movement really touched me too because there was so much um, artistic flair in what they were doing that was grabbing the attention of the people in London. And so... I spent a lot of time with the XR um, actions versus like touring London or anything on my downtime. Wow. So cool. I said, when I get back to the Los Angeles area, I want to make sure that I'm continuing to get people out in nature and enjoying it and supporting the activists that are doing this radical work and um, seeing how I can do more to protect the earth. I love that. Yeah. Um, So I want to back up a bit and ask how you got involved with mindfulness at all. Like, what's Mm -hmm. your life journey? Have you always been in in touch with nature or you just mentioned that you could no longer ignore wanting to be outside, which implies that you did ignore that Mm -hmm. for a while. So tell me about how you kind of came into this version of your life. Yes. So I grew up in Pennsylvania um, and... I had 
very like middle-class upbringing. Um, in our home, we had a beautiful property with a forest behind us. And so I spent so much time outside. I mean, we were constantly on hiking trails. We were out wandering around finding box turtles, you know, in the Creek, Peter's Creek was a place we would get salamanders. Shout out to Peter's Creek. Peter's Creek. And (laughs) really it was like, so, um, such a joyful time and such a gift to be able to experience that. And I feel like, um, as I, got conditioned in school and kind of followed this very traditional path of like, you're going to go to university and you're going to go to college and you're going to enter the workforce and you're going to get your, uh, you know, money so that you can get your own apartment and travel. And like this whole time there was like, I got caught up in this, um, doing, I got caught up in this system and I got separated from nature and uh, the people around mm. me, it felt like we're separated from nature too. So it was like the normal. Right. But there was always this underlying with me where it's like I would want to go on vacation in a place that was nature or like let's go hiking for a day instead of like going out to the bar or whatever. And um, I just got disconnected. And when I was around the age of 30... I took a grown-up gap year. I was feeling really um, unhappy and dissatisfied and went to Australia for a year. Hmm. And it really reignited my um, love of being outside, and I felt like I was being called back home. I spent a lot of time outside hiking at the beaches. In the outback. In the outback, I did. I spent four interesting nights in Kakadu National Park in the serious outback. Um, Can I ask you a question, which is something that comes up for me? Do you ever, like, um, has a woman get scared of hiking alone? Mm -hmm. Because I I find that, um, I was thinking about that on my way over here. I'm a very scared person. Mm -hmm. Um, And not necessarily of nature, but being in nature of of, uh, human predators. And uh, do you have any, like, advice or, or experience with that? I experienced that myself, actually. I'm in an additional teacher training program called Awake in the Wild right now. Wow. And a part of that was uh, camping for six nights in nature and silence. There was a group that was there, um, but it brought up a lot of fear. And it's Mm. something that's a really common experience. And I was thinking to myself, like, I felt a lot of benefits from sleeping outside in a tent in nature. But I don't know how to do that and feel safe doing mm. it in America or in LA. Like, I don't really actually know yet. And because um, there is something that comes up for me with camping where it's like, as a woman, like, am I putting it myself at risk being alone in a tent in a nature place? Am I or am I not? I don't know, you know? Um, but I see it with hiking. And it, for me, it's been like a slow, gradual rewilding. Mm. Where it's like, okay, I'm going to do this trail by myself that I know really well. And then maybe I'm going to go off a little bit over here. And I don't know what's going to happen. But it's like little baby steps of like, okay, I can do this. And then when it goes okay, it's like, oh, okay, that went really well. I discovered this cool meadow and um, I remember how to get back. But I think there's a part that's common sense about it too. Where like having a whistle or having some knowledge about basic outdoor life 
I'm disconnected from that as a woman myself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's an area I want to get more comfortable with to help other women feel comfortable again doing it, yeah, you know, but doing so it rad. in a safe way. Yeah. Yeah. That's really rad. Mm. Yeah. But I relate. That's a common experience. Because when you said like, oh, I can't ignore the, the need to go outside anymore, that there's something that kind of um, rang f- for me where I was like, I'm still ignoring it. Like I feel that, but all day I'm like, got to stay more inside. I'm, and I've always been an indoor girl. Yeah. Kind of. And um, I was I was raised here and I was not out in the crick like you. Yeah. And uh, I I remember like, uh, I maybe was sort of a shutdown child or something, but I would watch a lot of TV. Like, and I remember during the summer watching TV, there would be these commercials that would come on that Nickelodeon would be like, go outside and play. We'll be here when you get back. And I'd be like, shut up. <laughs> I'm here to watch you. <laughs> I can't take this kind of pressure. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's um, it's a real question, and it's something I want to explore in my work as I continue to work with more women, because I feel like, you know, we're in several different worlds of, like, you know, being in an economy and supporting ourselves, and there's this desire that I'm hearing from many women, like, I do want to be outside, and, like, how do we do it safely, wisely, and in a way that allows us to really go back to our roots, Yeah. You know? Um, I think it's a process and it's like baby steps in my experience. Yeah. I wouldn't say go six nights in a tent by yourself, maybe on the first go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so you're in the outback. So I'm in the outback spending a lot of time outside. And when I, Australia kicked me out after the year, uh, my visa expired and I came back to the States. Um, I was very, I had a tough readjustment to America after that time. And, uh, but I said, you know, I'm going to prioritize nature in my life and I'm going to try to figure out a way to do that. And part of that meant eventually coming to California where I was going to be around more like-minded people who were also prioritizing being outside and spending time outside. And so, um, so a part of this also with my meditation work backing up a little bit is that when I was in college and university, I had a series of deaths in my family really early on back to back. And it kind of woke me up to impermanence. And it woke me up to asking a lot of questions about like what's happening with Mm. life and being on earth. And, um, so I dabbled a lot in many different modalities, like getting into yoga. Mm. I suffered a lot of anxiety and depression after that time. And, um, started traveling, started trying different types of meditation experiences. So I was very, very interested in all of it. I don't think I was in an environment that cultivated and supported that. So I kind of kept it on the down low and nothing really stuck. Like I was kind of in this experimental stage where I'm like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And it was all good, but I never followed a practice consistently. I moved to California wanting to be more in nature around like-minded people. And that's when mindfulness meditation came into my life. And this type of meditation of really clearly seeing what's happening in the present moment is what led me on the path that I'm into now. So I was working with kids. I still do work with kids as a speech therapist, but a lot of people were using mindfulness practices with schools here and with children here. 
And so I started integrating that into my therapy. And you work. can so see the difference with the kids. Yes, their I attention. Was, I was substitute teaching for a bit. Yeah. And there was this one school that opened their day with meditation. Uh-huh. And I was like, whoa. And the the kids, even the kind of kids with ADD or whatever, they had that as a tool that, mm-hmm. you know, most schools I go into, I'm like, say, if I say, like, take a deep breath, they'll kind of make fun of it or whatever. They'll be like, <gasps> Or whatever, but yeah. the kids there would just be like, you know, they would actually do it and relax. And I was like, whoa. It's amazing to see them pick up on it. They're like so receptive. They're not as conditioned, I think, as, um, you know, we get to be as we're older. So it's really cool to see them just integrate it now. Yeah, it's going to be a part of their lives. They're more primitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when I was teaching these kids, uh, I started having to do the practices myself Mm -hmm. and I honestly was shocked at the mental chatter that was in my mind. I mean, there was this constant state of planning and constant forward thinking that I honestly had no idea was happening. Yeah. And I was blown away when I saw this and thought, whoa. And it just completely put me in this direction of like, I have to understand this. I want to understand myself more. And, um, yeah, started practicing really consistently, doing teacher training, starting to teach it. You know, teaching helps us to be able to, you know, understand it better. Mm. And um, at some point, I just thought, wow, doing mindfulness and meditation outside feels really natural to me. And then I realized there's all these other people doing it in the world. <laughs> um, so continuing on that path and continuing to want to bring that to different people in different ways. Wow, how fabulous. Yeah. So I, how, how do you think that we get, how, what happened that we've gotten so disconnected from being outside? Because I've come to you know meditation um, very slowly and very recently and... Um, and I'm shocked by my mental chatter and actually have a lot of compassion for myself now that I know what's happening in there. I'm like, whoa, you're living with a lot yeah. of shit running through <laughs> your head. It's like dark stuff sometimes. Too. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, and we're just kind of taught to be sort of unaware of that or like it's normal mm-hmm. to have that many thoughts in a second. Um, and it's kind of so it's it's just like what what happened that it that it became not that we lost that intuition or, or awareness. What, what went wrong? <laughs> Capitalism, shopping, media, marketing. I feel like the messages I know, I just speak from my experience, what I grew up with and what I was exposed to. It was like the American dream is like mm. having the house and shopping and success. And like, I kind of grew up in had this message of like, well, the new modern woman is going to be successful enough that she has her own apartment and she wears these clothes Mm. and lives this way, which requires you to work and requires you to do, do, do. And the messaging I received had nothing to do with just being and Mm. taking time to relax and be good to yourself. And, um, I think that with that type of messaging, it doesn't allow for time in nature. It doesn't give you permission to just be in your natural state because you're like, well, I got to strive for this and have to have this and do this and um, caught up, 
caught up in I, it. I have a confession, which is I start every morning by looking at Instagram. Yes. And I and it's like a compulsion and I yes. almost feel and then I can feel that I'm immediately not allowing myself to have um, be in a natural state. Yeah. Like I'm in, I'm just trained to get into some kind of hamster wheel immediately. Yes. And it's like I need help. <laughs> I completely appreciate your honesty with that because that happens to me too. I mean, they I am not immune to that and it was so strong. I saw it so strongly too that I bought a old school alarm clock. Because what was happening? I'm going to do that. My alarm clock was my phone. I'm I'm going to do that because it's the same thing. And it takes every ounce of our mm-hmm. bodies to not go to the phone, then to Instagram, to Facebook, to messaging. And when that is the first thing you see, all this list of emails or whatever, you're instantly setting yourself up for a day that is not inwardly focused. You're outwardly looking at everything, right? I need so the phone messaging. in like another room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I actually set up like a backup alarm on my phone, have it in another room, um, just to make sure I do wake up for in case the alarm clock doesn't work, but it has made a world of difference. And my initial routine, um, with meditation in the morning, this is interesting, like a true confession is lying in bed. And as soon as that alarm goes off and I turn it off, I am feeling every part of my body before I roll over, before I get out of bed. Because if I don't start my day in my body, I'm just off all day long. And it's really hard to get back to balance. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Starting the day off right. Now, many meditation teachers will say like a sitting practice is important. And I do 100% believe in that. I also have like a seated practice. Yeah. Um, But for me personally, like... I can't do anything else before I feel my body um, or I'll be off. Wow. Mm-hmm. I need to. Wow. That's good <laughs> advice for me right now. The other thing about the, you know, capitalism or whatever, training us away from our natural wild state is um, this drive for success, which I feel like I have always been very um, obsessed with, um, which has also led to my self-sabotage, but that's a different story. But I think the spell was broken for me that if you're not successful, you're a loser. Um, uh, or if you don't prioritize success, that's just an excuse for the fact that you can't do it or something. I think when Donald Trump became the president, I was like, oh, success is meaningless because there's no way I can ascribe meaning to this guy's success. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what page you're on with that guy, but I just, I feel that, um, it, it really, he, he's the embodiment of like, we got to be successful yeah. and, and it's success for successes, um, uh, sake. And it's so, um, empty. Yeah. I'm really feeling the emptiness of consumerism and success, um, for consumerism and success's sake. Um, which is sad for me. I feel of a loss mm. because I I used to treat um, all of my feelings with um, ice cream or uh, and knowing that it's empty and knowing that success is empty is kind of sad because I'm I'm a little like oh man now what you yeah. know it's like a reevaluation of like what success actually means to you and I think it can be different 
for everybody. You know, some people's success can be having a family um, to share life with. For some people, it can be, you know, exploring the world. Um, For some people, it can be, you know, just feeling content with where they are in life and, you know, bringing good things to the world. So it's um, kind of like a, a question like I've had to do that myself of like, okay, what does success actually mean for me? You know, what brings me the greatest joy? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so wonderful. Kind of getting in touch with like, uh, what does my perfect day look like? Like what, what, when do I feel the most joyful? And it's not when I look at my phone in the morning, it's when I wake up and I feel the sun and hear the birds and just lay there and then have coffee or whatever I had. And then, you know, kind of start my day and it's like, it's so weird. The resistance, it's the, the, I have the res- so many people I feel like also have such a resistance um to feeling joy or allowing yourself to and there's a resistance to meditation mm-hmm. and it's oh I can't meditate mm-hmm. and I think part of that is cuz at first it's it's harsh to hear your own thoughts and sit with yourself mm-hmm. That's been my experience uh, working with people too, is there's a misconception that, you know, I can't meditate because my mind is so busy. Like there's this idea that, oh, there's a super blissful place I need to achieve with meditation. There's no way I'll be able to get there. My mind's too busy. My body wants to move or different things. And the reality is meditation is more about seeing what's actually happening in that crazy mind and working with it and being with it and Mm. acceptance of it, kind acceptance and understanding of it. And that space allows us space for other parts of our life to unfold, like more joy and happiness and compassion and all of these things. But it's hard. It's um, a practice for a reason. You know, it's like learning a new skill, like playing the piano or dancing. You really have to put the effort into it and practice and um, know that every sit's not going to be this super blissful state. Although there are times that can be really enjoyable and beautiful. Um, You know, it's more about the... um, It's not really so much about the amount of time that you're sitting. It's more about the... uh, just effort, you know, of like kind effort. Like I, I want to do this for myself and making that a priority to see how the benefits unfold. Yeah. Yeah. What I loved about the outdoor hike meditation that you did, um, as opposed to meditating in my own apartment, which, um, is quite cluttered. It's, uh, I, I would say that my boyfriend is a bit of a quarter hoarder, (laughs) um, which I learned from the show Queer Eye, that term said you're a quarter hoarder so there's you know a lot of clutter and uh you know I found that like I I felt like you know you did this thing where we went around and said one thing we were thinking or feeling about the nature around us or that we observed and it's kind of cliche but I said like oh there's like a stillness it was like I could access it a lot easier because everything around me was doing it Mm -hmm. and I was like wow it's a great a teacher um, to be, to be outside. I love that. Absolutely. And I hear that from people and I experienced it myself where, uh, just being outside in nature and in the presence of 
beings that are still and grounded and it allows us to remember that we have that capacity to be still, to be grounded as well. And uh, it's this mirroring and reflection of uh, what we see outside and remembering what we are inside, you know, and what we are. And we're a part of all of that. Yeah, sometimes in Los Angeles, mirroring (laughs) my surroundings... Um, leads to a lot of chaos. <laughs> and I actually wanted to ask you about that. What do you yeah. What do you think about like the days where you're really in the city? Yeah. Do you think it's possible? Because there's millions of people here yeah. um, who are you know in a lot of um, urban environment. My my own neighborhood it has trees that are really nice, but there's also a lot of um, uh, cars and honking and pollution and all of this and. Part of me, oh, okay, let me back up and say that I, 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 I used to follow the very cynic, cynical um, philosopher um, Slavo Žižek, and, um, and he uh, uh, is a silly man, <laughs> but I remember there was this one scene in some documentary where he was in it, some philosophy documentary, and he was walking in a dumpster or a, or a, what do you call it? A dump. He's walking in a dump mm-hmm. and he's like, he's like, if you're going to love nature, love this too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it's a, a little silly in a way, but part of me is like, I feel like I'm in this urban environment for a reason, or I'm supposed to learn something. Mm. One thing I like about LA is I can't turn my back on the issues of America. Yeah. Like if I went and lived in a forest or something, I know in my head that we have a homeless problem. We have a pollution problem. We have all this. So I like that I'm kind of forced to look at it in a way, but at the same time, uh, I'm constantly seeking balance. Yes. If you relate to that. (laughs) Because you came here, you came to LA to do what you do. Yeah. So there must be a purpose to that. Yeah. It's a, LA is really an interesting place, right? It has um, a little bit of everything here. And you're right, you can't um, ignore what's going on with our city and our society, and you see it all the time. And there's also these opportunities to orient towards nature and the things that we have in the communities and to make that better. So I do believe that there is, you know, for me personally, some sort of purpose in being here where um, you have to see it and acknowledge that these challenges are even happening to be able to feel discomfort around it, to then be able to act, to want to do something about it. Like if you don't even know it exists, if you don't see it and feel it, like what are the chances that you're going to want to participate in the change? Right. So, Dis- discomfort is kind of a teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think, you were talking about, you know, just nature too, you know, um, even in a big city, there's sky, you know, you can look up and see clouds and you can see the sky. Sometimes it's blue. Sometimes it's not. A lot of times it's blue here. We're very lucky. Um, but there are plants and there are trees and the concrete is on the earth, on the dirt. And so it's kind of like, Hmm. a conscious orientation to like, oh yeah, I'm in this urban jungle, but like, can I orient this whole day today to a plant? Like, 
instead of focusing on the concrete, are there plants anywhere? Is there any green? Can I look up at the sky? You know, it's kind of um, also understanding like concrete is made from things from the earth, like this table. Everything is made mm. from earth. And Concrete's so, not a ba- bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we love concrete too? <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like this just seeing things differently and orienting it to it differently when we start to feel that heaviness of it. Cause I felt that too, you know, but it's like, okay, yeah, there's so many people, there's heaviness, there's all this happening. And don't forget, this is also earth and it's teaching us. And there are things that we can orient to that are beautiful. Mm. Mm-hmm. What about the ugly stuff? Yeah. Do we tune it out? Like the dumpster, whatever or the dump. Yeah. I think sometimes people do. <laughs> I mean, if you look but, at Instagram yeah. in LA, mm-hmm. I see a lot of angling things upwards. Yeah. You know, like the shots are very cropped because it is a beautiful place, but you do have to do some cropping sometimes yeah. to present the Im- uh, Instagram image you want. Yeah. I think it's all uh, perspective. Like, can we see it as beautiful and as a teacher? You know? Mm, yeah. Like, can we see, like, this trash as yeah this is we humans participate in this wow should we do real. a dump meditation <laughs> i'm gonna be really honest with you <laughs> doesn't sound sanitary the, one of the most impactful moments i had in my life was when i was in australia uh-huh and i was working um on an organic kale farm with woofing and uh we had to clean up some things and they took us to the dump and it was really shocking to be in the dump and to see all of our trash and to see what happens to those physical objects. And it's never left me that day. Um, mm. And I actually, in a brainstorming session with a colleague of mine who's down in San Diego, we talked about it. We talked about doing like a day where we would take people to a dump and then afterwards do meditation and conversation talking about it. Like, this is reality. How do you feel about it in your body? What's coming up for you? Is this an action or an agent for change? Um, and how do we use that anger or frustration or sadness about it and turn that into creativity? Cause that's kind of what my like focus and feeling is right now. Like, yes, we need to feel these things, but getting stuck in despair mm. is shut down. It is fight, flight, fight mode. Like we yeah. shut down and I want people to feel things and then uh, it seems and feels more beneficial to then use that and to use that grief to turn that into creativity and solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I come from a background of, activism in college. And, um, I, I shifted away from that because I was pretty unhealthy. I was pretty, um, um, well, first of all, I was very active in addiction, um, drinking. And then I, I was very, um, uh, uh, I, I feel like I would use information about the world to abuse myself mm. and uh, to abuse others. It was a very, like, I probably did some good action. I probably got some stuff down, but I think I created an equal amount of chaos and suffering. Um, 
in the, so I had to move away from that because I was like, oh, I, I can see that this is very destructive for me right now. Um, even though I put this pressure like, oh, you have to do activism or children are dying, you know, like I, it's very dramatic and, uh, you know, so, so now coming back to it 10 years later, I'm like, wow, I'm really going to have, if I do get back into activism, Mm -hmm. I have to not get him back into that triggered state. Yeah. And, um, that's why I love so much, uh, the, and you're coming from, mindfulness to activism yes you're not coming from activism to mindfulness no so it's been a learning curve for me (laughs) yeah so that's very interesting um i i think that's um i yeah i just i think it's got i think it's got to be you got you got to have mindfulness with and there's never been um something that needed mindfulness more than climate change because like you said like kind of the lack of mindfulness is sort of the issue Hmm. the the disconnection is is how we get in like you have to be pretty disconnected mm-hmm. to hear to to work for Exxon or something and hear that uh you know oh your your carbon output is going to destroy the way the planet exists now mm-hmm. and to shut that down like how mm-hmm. what's what what level of disconnection uh creates that possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like I try to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're like doing their best, or maybe they have a family to support or there's Mm, things, you know, like I try to see that perspective of it. Um, and you know, it does make me wonder, like people are shutting out and not really registering emotions and allowing that to be felt, um, to be able to just get through, right. To do what they need to do. And a big part of this work of mindfulness of getting people outside is, you know, if they're in touch with it, with the land, with, the trees and the outdoor spaces that they love, if they're interacting with it, they'll fall in love with it and want to be there and want to protect it. So if people are not connecting to outside nature and shutting that down, they don't have that feeling of like hurt and sadness and grief for Mm. what's happening. Like they're disconnected from that because they're not registering the natural world. And grief is really about love, right? It's sadness that something's gone and you love it so much. And so getting people outside, paying attention, I think helps to reconnect people to want to do something to save it and helps us come up with clear solutions. Because if our brains are stuck in the, uh, these mental patterns and habits or reactive states, like how are we going to pay attention enough to be able to come up with the solutions we need to move forward? So Um, I think it's about falling in love with it again and developing capacity to see things clearly, to come up with new solutions because we're entering a time we don't really have a map for, you know, we need clear, creative thinking in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. I find that like going out into nature, maybe one, one motivation for not going into it is, uh, not wanting to feel that sadness because, and I definitely feel that in LA being from here and, uh, seeing the way that, the that the land has shifted or like 
the the nature that the temperature is shifted and like you know going outside for a hike in in November and seeing how dry and hot it is because there's always been a fire season it's always been hot you know that's Mm -hmm. that's natural but the level it just it kind of I find that I go on a lot, I go outside a lot more in the springtime. Mm-hmm. I go outside in the rain mm-hmm. and I'm like, see, everything's okay yeah. today. Like, yeah. Uh, but I, I get kind of fearful for, for the, for the land mm-hmm. here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Cause that hike we went on yeah. in Topanga Canyon, mm-hmm. like a couple of days later, yes. there was a huge wildfire there. Yes. And which you could tell when we were sitting out there, like, oh, this is some dry meadow. Yes. This is, uh, would be ready to go up. Yep. And then it, you know, so it's just kind of like a, um, a, there's, there's a bit of a fear to confront there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, I feel that too, you know, where, um, being out in nature can be really joyful. And then there are times where I feel that sadness and, the idea is to not really um, ignore that or not stuff that away, To re- just to feel it and to allow it to be there. And mindfulness has these tools to help us to work with emotion and to be with that and to allow it to kind of live its life in our body and, and to move on. Um, being in nature... For me at this point, um, it's important, I think, when these feelings come up and these things come up is to also get in community, you know, and to align with other people that are also feeling similarly. Because I know in my experience, I feel like um, I'm probably more vocal about my concern about the environment out of my friends and family. And it can be isolating sometimes to feel like I'm the only one having those feelings. Mm -hmm. And so interacting with other people that are activists that are also interested in this and aligning with them, having allies has felt so important and nurturing because otherwise it can be like really isolating to be on your own with it. It's a lot to hold. Yeah, yeah. I, that's actually why I started this podcast because mm. I I was like, how can I force people to talk to me? Yeah. Not force people, but how can I make an yeah. intention of? Because I found that I was kind of dropping it into conversations, and it was not being picked up what I was dropping. Yeah, and I felt very um, surreal about that. I'm like, does <laughs> no one uh, notice? <laughs> right, it's kind of. Uh, <laughs> I understand the need to to look away, but. Uh, um, you know, at the same time, I think people are like, why look at it? It's happening. I have no control. Mm-hmm. So what, what would you say to that? You know, like why, why cancel my flight or not that anyone has to cancel a flight, but why, you know, stop eating, whatever destruct, why do, why stop the destruction myself when it's inevitable? Like yeah. why not just enjoy my go on as n- normal? Yeah. I have a sense of, um, uh, you know, optimism that all of this is teaching us how to live and change and adapt to enter into a new phase on this planet, really. Um, and that comes from spending time with some elders who are indigenous and studying and um, learning more about how they're viewing like the world and 
that this is a time of these things coming out and to teach us to change, to work towards different um, types of systems, more collaboration, more heart-based world that we're going into. So it, mm. it's like a really awkward time, I think. And, um, you know, I think it's going to continue to be an awkward time where there's kind of this old way as we enter into the new way. Um, but for the people that, uh, yeah, that they are not sure why they need to like do all of that. Um, I think there's just, I can't force anyone, you know, to necessarily to feel that way for the earth or to, um, do something. I think that's where different modalities I think come in that are really important to help reach people in different ways. Like some people resonate with the message of extinction rebellion and the radicalness of it. And some people don't, you know, um, I think other people are helping people wake up and fall in love with the earth again through photography, through interactions with animals, through comedy, through art, through, you know, there are like all these different outlets and things that we can use to help um, reach people in different ways. And I just think there's not like one way that's going to reach everybody, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but just some thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But what, yeah, what would be the purpose of getting in tune with it as opposed, like if, what, I mean, I guess you're, you're saying that that it's because we're having an awakening Mm -hmm. and that it's not, it's not just like, Oh, well shit's going to crash and burn. So why should I, you, you just have a more optimist outlook. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast today and, uh, she was talking about carbon being the element that holds hands and collaborates with others and how this carbon issue is going to be, uh, a way that actually helps us hold hands and reconnect with community and the other people in our world, you know, to help make a better society moving forward. Um, so I, uh, I just kind of orient that way it personally, and, um, I'm not giving up hope yet, you know, <laughs> that's great. I, I will, I am, a. I tend, I've always been sort of a cynic, Yeah. but to me, this issue is the cynical possibilities are too great for even my cynical powers. <laughs> to, so I, I've had to lean a lot more optimistically because it's just... But I wouldn't say that I'm naturally yeah. optimistic. I think this is, this is interesting for me to kind of think about this, actually. Like, contemplating it, it's maybe because I felt a little isolated within my own communities about knowing or being more aware of this issue that it's caused me to seek out different communities and podcasts and people and groups and talk to different people who are interested in orienting to this. And through connecting with these different indigenous elders and through connecting to different podcasts that are focusing on solutions and reading and educating myself and getting out there to be with other people that are also concerned, that has helped me to see 
there are actually things happening. There are a lot of solutions happening. You know, Project Drawdown and all of the different research that was done to be able to show that these different um, methods can help with our climate dysfunction and breakdown. Like, there are things happening. People are researching. People are working. People are out there. These are things that aren't in the news. These are things that people aren't talking about in conversation over coffee in the morning all the time. And so learning about that and knowing that there is momentum and things happening, I think has supported me in knowing that like, yeah, you know, we have a lot going on, even though we don't hear about it all the time, but that's been something I've had to actually pursue and seek out and, you know, find in community to then have faith that things are going to move forward. It seems like you have a lot of bravery in terms of dealing with grief and you're just, Mm. you kind of plunge towards it. It doesn't seem like you, this is my, uh, uh, first impression is that it doesn't seem like you spend too much time hiding from things. Yeah. I think my past experience with like losing people in my life, I can see now how that has helped me build resilience which has helped me to then feel more resilient in this particular stage in my life. You know, I um, had to really uh, be brave and develop resilience when I lost all these people in my life. It was either that or, you know, break down. And I did have moments of breakdown, but there was something that called to me that, like, you're so young, like, life isn't over, there's so Mm. much more. And that has fueled me in my life to feel braver to try things that maybe I wouldn't have tried if I hadn't had those deaths in my life. And through trying things, sometimes failing and sometimes succeeding, it gave me the confidence to be like, okay, well, we're going to educate myself and try these things and whatever happens, happens. And now in this time of climate breakdown, it's... um, it kind of feels that way where it's like, okay, well, what are possible solutions? How do we do this? Maybe we fail, maybe we don't, but, you know, being educated, being wise and, uh, you know, orienting that way feels better to me. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Well, have you ever had moments of feeling, uh, uh, a breakdown over climate change? Have you had climate change breakdown moments? I have. Yeah, I definitely have. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I was in Iceland. I had planned a week to go there right after, um, I was in London and experienced that meditation retreat and experienced the XR event and had the opportunity um, to drive the ring road around the country and spend a week by myself completely in nature. And um, it was so beautiful, and I felt so connected to the earth. Like, I, I felt like I just, like, completely fell in love again with the planet. Like, experiencing the heat, the hot springs, and being on this volcanic earth and it just felt so natural and visceral. And I had moments where I really felt like a part of that ecosystem there. Um, and at the same time, I also felt like deep sadness because I thought like, what if 
I have children and they don't get to see this. Mm. And to hear people in Iceland talking about the glaciers changing and, you know, um, it felt beautiful and it also felt heavy. Yeah. It felt like a lot to hold. Um, so I've definitely, you know, shed tears and just felt like, how can people harm this natural beauty? You know, how could people do this? And it was like a understanding, like if people don't see it and experience it, uh, they don't even know it exists. You know, like how can they even care about it if they don't see it and experience it? And I think, um, that's where it really validated, like, that's what feels like that's my mission and my part in this solution is to help people remember that. Mm. I don't think that's everyone's job or everyone's authentic expression during this time, but um, feeling that joy and feeling that heaviness also kind of just like validated my new path. Yeah. Do you feel like um, part of that, do you have any guilt when you feel that heaviness? Because I know that that's an issue for a lot of people coming to this topic of like, oh, I have to feel like I'm, you know, am I part of this hurting this thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I went through a phase where I was um, like kind of judging myself and feeling guilty about my shopping choices, how I was living, you know, um, and I think I had to just like reconsider and through the support of my meditation teachers and the people that I was interacting with, um, you know, it, it didn't serve me to stay there. You know, yeah. I could see it. I could see the places that I could make improvements and I just had to make a choice. Like, am I going to stay here and beat myself up about it? Or am I going to yes, make decisions <laughs> that like are going to help me feel better and help the world? You know, it didn't feel good for me to stay there. It felt bad in my body. It felt like it was paralyzing and Um, but I couldn't do it alone. I think that's the thing. People think they can fix this alone. And, um, I had to really reach out, you know, and for me, that was like getting more knowledge about zero waste and composting and all these different things I didn't know about. Like, how can I make decisions that are more aligned with what I value? Um, and it was a process. It wasn't an easy process. <laughs> well, it sounds it's like you, you have so much more awareness and love for yourself that you don't want to stay stuck in bad feelings. But yeah, I think um, a lot of people are not so self-destruct are, are, are more self-destructive, myself included, yeah. um, historically. Um, but we only have a few more minutes and I kind of wanted to talk, you know, especially going into the holiday season about... Um, uh, how we're going to move through this gracefully this um, and enjoy the holidays despite the uh, consumeristic uh, um, uh, glaze that uh, befalls on everybody around us and maybe ourselves as well. And um, 
uh, yeah, I also, I, I was uh, hoping to leave uh, the audience with some, uh, some mindfulness tools or sure. some how to dip into meditation tools. Sure. How to, how to cope with this uh, specific time. Yeah. So holidays first, then meditation. Sorry, I just vomited so much. It's because I'm running out of time, so I wanted to... for sure. I wanted to get it. Um, How much time do we have? Um, Maybe 10. Okay. Let's... Okay, Um, holidays five, meditation meditation five. Because I I saw that you you posted an Instagram thing, Mm -hmm. follow you on Instagram, and you posted something where you were annoyed that somebody had asked you, what are you doing for the, what do you want for Christmas? And you were like, "Uh, it's Halloween or, you know, (laughs) like, relax. It's barely fall. I got triggered big time. Um, (laughs) Someone in my family asked me, yeah, so what do you want for Christmas? And, oh. I was so frustrated by that question and just felt really annoyed by it. And, um, you know, it's like, it's November, it's not even Thanksgiving. And there's this whole month of time of transition of fall that we're like disconnected from. And I had to really like step back and think about her perspective. Like, why is she asking me this question? She loves me. You know, she wants to, is excited I'll be home for Christmas and wants to share her love through a gift. And that's her way of expressing that. Um, and I mean, of course I was just thinking in Santa Monica, the ice skating rink is up. The decorations are up. Mm. There's stuff in the stores. So when all of this is around you all the time, it is telling us like, Oh, have you thought about Christmas? Have you thought about the holidays? Like it just seems like the natural thing to do. That's what everyone's doing. Right. Um, So I had to kind of process all of that. Um, And I think the holidays, um, you know, I gift experiences and I've, I've been doing that for years and like what kind of experience I need ideas. Yeah. 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 So, um, like my parents, you know, they have everything. Um, but I give them like a, uh, year long, gift card where they can go into any of the museums in Pittsburgh, you know, for a year, or they can go to the botanical gardens on an unlimited amount of times. Um, my nephews, I got them, uh, experiences where they could go into those escape rooms together with their girlfriends and stuff. Um, you know, so it's not always like me pushing my environmental agenda on them. Like you should go plant a tree, you know, but, um, as much as I would love that, but it's like, okay, what are ways that they could develop community or, you know, enjoy or be, um, using money to really encourage, uh, the organizations that are doing good things to continue, you know? So I always try to think, what are they going to appreciate and what? will the money also be encouraging because money's energy and what we put it towards is that's like a supporting of that system. Mm. Um, I have a very unhealthy money relation. I'm really working on it. That's actually the thing I'm working on right now is, um, learning to interact with that in a spiritual way and not just completely avoid Mm -hmm. it so that I'm Mm -hmm. destitute. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that too. It's something I've definitely had to look at in my own experience as well. And, um, you know, books, I think like for some people that really want a physical object, like you can buy a secondhand book, 
You can give secondhand clothes. Yeah. Like you can walk into a secondhand store here and there are brand new items. Yeah. I also want to plug the library has book sales yeah. and they have tons of books. Amazing. Way too many books at the li- like extra yeah. at the library. Taking kids to the, to, you know, different places, um, you know, taking them to, you know, uh, different events and different things that'll be meaningful. Music, I think, is a beautiful uplifter in the world right now. We need more of it. And it can be, um, I think, giving, you know, like concert tickets or music events or different things or wellness things for people to mm. participate in, too. Someone's curious about different um, classes that they've always wanted to take. And it can even be with cooking and edible items that are eco-friendly, you know, mm-hmm. um, that support um, sustainability if someone's really into that. So I also have had to speak up about it. You know, it's like, we're like, okay, this is kind of like where I'm coming from. And these are the gifts that I'm going to give and kind of hold that boundary. Um, and asking people to like, not give me things. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's caused me to have to speak up a little bit and be more clear, um, and set some boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. A lot yeah. of us have to, especially I think women have to learn how to, how to do that. Mm-hmm. We've been, I've been taught to not really mm-hmm. to just be like, okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, what about sitting at the table at Christmas or whatever holiday time? And, yeah. and you know, in your, and you know, you disagree with someone, you sense some, so much unhealthiness, yeah. uh, from them. How do you, um, greet that with kindness or is kindness appropriate? (laughs) So, yeah, well, my personal practice is I have to schedule in some time to come back to center, to be able to like hold space for wherever that person is. I think there's something we need to do in the world right now is like meeting people where they are. Meet people in the moment. Yeah. You know, and Mm. it's, it's hard for me to see, you know, um, even in my own family, you know, like, oh, I wish, I wish, I want, I should, it could be this way, you know, like there's all of this wooding and shooting and stuff that comes up and that's not necessarily helpful. And I think for people that are aware, it's really, um, a, a good, it's our job to really meet them where they are and then like, you know, support and show through example, you know, I don't think like talent, nobody, in my experience, anytime anyone has ever told me to do something, I don't do it. Me neither. You know, I, I, I've been inspired through example. And so, um, I'm really trying to remember to do that, you know, by wrapping presents in napkins and, or recyclable stuff or giving, you know, and saying why I'm doing it, you know, and really showing that there's an alternative, Um, But being triggered by other people, I have to schedule in time to like go take a walk or I'm going to make a phone call or whatever to come back to balance. Um, And at the table, man, it's like I've made the mistake so many times of reacting and it's never turned out positively. And so I literally have to feel my butt in the chair, feel my feet on the floor feel like my hands tighten and my jaw get tight and be like, yeah, like anger and frustration is here right now. And then is what I'm going to say going to be kind? Is it helpful? Is it going to benefit? 
you know, the group right now and kind of using those filters in my speech, using mindful communication. In some cases, people are open and I can say something like, oh, well, actually, you know, da, 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 da. And then I have to use my judgment and know like this person may not be there and hear it. So it's only going to start an argument. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So mindfulness. Yes. uh, So for someone uh, wanting to do meditation or outdoor meditation, what, how do you even do that? (laughs) Yes. I think the easiest, um, I shouldn't say easiest. What I often recommend for people is to schedule in five minutes, right? And to either if they're inside in a comfortable spot or there's an outdoor spot they like to go to and just connect with your body and get out of your head. (laughs) Our heads are just so busy and we're quite disconnected from our physical bodies, right? So if you're in a place where you could go to a park or sit on a bench or sit on something um, that is in an outdoor space, feel your butt, feel your legs, feel your feet, and feel your breath. And just tune into that. And every time the thoughts come into the head, come back to feeling your body grounded on earth or grounded in your seat or grounded in your feet if you're even standing up. And I think that um, sound can be a great tool outside. You know, you can hear mechanical sounds, you can hear animal sounds, you can feel the sun on your face, sensation of sun on your face or wind, just feeling sensory what's happening in that environment. Um, The breath is always there to support you, but sometimes outside, I feel like the heat or the cold or the wind or the smells or the sounds that you hear can really bring you back into the present moment and out of the head. Yeah. One thing I liked about uh, the meditation you did is you kind of emphasized that our bodies and ourselves are not separate from the planet, that we're like part, we're part of it. Like we have all those elements Mm -hmm. that, that is, um, that is surrounding us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We get disconnected from that. And, um, I just, I'm reading the Joanna Macy book coming back to life right now. And she says in the book, um, in this work, I'm not saving the rainforest. I am the rainforest saving myself. Yeah. And that really resonated with me because that's the reality. That's the truth. And we've forgotten. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that seems like a lovely place to leave it. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for um, taking time to do this. I feel that you're very generous. (laughs) Um, Can you uh, tell listeners where to um, find you or or, um, or, uh, benefit from your services even? Yes, absolutely. Um, So mpensack9 is my Instagram handle. And my website is melaniepensack.com. And you can contact me um, through either of those platforms. I often am posting on there the different nature events that I'm doing around Los Angeles. And that will soon be um, worldwide going into next year. Um, I do work with people individually in nature and online. Um, I work with small groups individually and online with mindfulness practices, 
I teach six-week introduction to mindfulness courses. I sometimes do drop-ins online. So following all of that work um, through those two platforms would be the best way to stay up to date with all of that. Love it. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing. It's great. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, oh.